The scripture reading for tonight comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Someone said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He said, I am the man. They said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is a marvel. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? and they cast him out. 
Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who speaks to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. Webster was unsure of this whole thing. Had he had other options, he certainly would have taken them. But that's just it. He did not. So, unsure or not, here he was. What choices did he have, really? He ran through the situation in his mind, searching, reconsidering. Was there something he missed? Was there some way, some other way? But even before he finished figuring, he gave up. He gave up. Because he'd been through this routine so many times. He knew the answer. He didn't even want to speak the word, even articulate it in his mind. But he was, he knew it, desperate. Desperate. So unsure doesn't matter much, set next to desperate. But it was weird. It was weird that they would want to meet him here. He didn't even know there were still places like this, bus stations like this. It was like some place from the 50s or some place like that was thriving in the 50s that had been made over in the 70s and then hadn't been attended to since. It was dark, like every other light bulb was burnt out, the ballast and the fluorescent dead, leaking, giving off a brown tinged light. It was grimy. A funny word, a funny word. Webb could not imagine it coming out of anyone's mouth but his mother's. It was the right word for this place, grimy, with rows of stained orange and mustard plastic chairs. There was a ticket counter and a baggage check, both clearly long abandoned, no longer staffed. It didn't seem like anyone worked here at all. A bus had pulled in in back and half a dozen people wandered into the station carrying a hefty bag or duct-taped cardboard box or maybe a beat-up backpack, if anything. A few people moved through the doors and out to the bus, but he never saw the driver. He didn't come into the station. The man born blind is driven from the synagogue, found guilty and excommunicated. The Pharisees did get a witness to pin it, pin it on him, tried to force a confession out of him, and in the end settled for guilt by association and their own uncertainty as proof of his sin. Being unable to quiet Jesus, they turned to trying to quiet any would-be follower by threatening them with excommunication. 
Before running into the man born blind, Jesus had just narrowly escaped a rock attack in the temple. But that didn't stop Jesus from committing a grave sin right under their noses. His disciples pointed out, that the, man born, pointed out the man born blind and asked, whose sin is responsible for his blindness? There is no sin here, Jesus responds, but through his blindness, God's work will be revealed. Jesus, without being asked, makes a plaster of mud and saliva, applies it to the man's eyes and washes it off. When he does, the creative nature of God's work is revealed. He sees, light streams in where there was previously darkness. The rest of this very long narrative pericope is given over to a debate about the nature of sin. At issue are the work that Jesus did on the Sabbath, making the plaster, and the work of God that was revealed in bringing light to a man born blind. The Pharisees repeatedly asked the question, how Jesus gave him sight. That is, did he perform work on the Sabbath? The neighbors seem out to get Jesus also. They asked the man born blind how, the how question. And when he tells them about making the plaster, they immediately turn him in. It doesn't just happen to be the Sabbath. The author is using it to make a point about the Pharisees' understanding of God in contrast to Jesus's. The Pharisees, in John, see God's work as restrictive. Jesus sees God's work as permissive. They see sin as transgressing the restricted. Jesus sees sin as limiting the continuing of God's work of creation, that work which is imagined from Genesis forward as bringing light into the darkness. He watched a woman. He couldn't tell how old she was. Could be 35 or 65, moving towards the doors that opened onto the street. She was clutching a reused Target bag like she was strangling it, heavy for its size by the way she was walking. When she pushed open the door, its glass seemed to catch the sunlight, sending a white shaft over the floor and up the wall, moving across the room as the door shut. It passed over him. He squinted. When he opened his eyes again, the door had closed and everything seemed darker. He blinked a couple of times, noticeably darker. He thought his eyes just needed to readjust, but they didn't, wouldn't. What strikes me in this extended drama is that the Pharisees really are not sure of Jesus's guilt. They really want him to be guilty. Chapter after chapter, they're trying hard to get something on him. Here, the man born blind has testified that Jesus did work on the Sabbath. They cannot get past the astounding fact that he brought light, sight to the man born blind. They are so conflicted by opposing impulses that they momentarily break down and ask the man born blind what he thinks. When the man begins to tell them without hesitation, they regain themselves and drive him out of the synagogue. I cannot help thinking that as they slam the door after throwing him out of it, a little light leaks through its cracks. At the end of the story, Jesus hears that they have thrown him out of the synagogue and finds him and asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
The man born blind asked him, tell me who he is, and if you want me to believe, then I will. I am he, then I believe. I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. The Pharisees overheard him and asked, surely we are not blind, are we? Not offense, but doubt. Like maybe they are actually considering that it might be true. Jesus responds, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sins remain. He was standing with his back against the wall between the payphone and the coffee vending machine. And he couldn't make out the sign on the ticket counter that had said closed. He knew that he could read it before or he wouldn't know that it was there. Or did he walk by it when he first came in? He looked up at the fixtures again. He thought he was just freaking himself out. He needed to breathe or relax or something. It was anxiety. Well, he told himself, you know, this is a very anxiety-provoking situation. He thought maybe that he would go into the bathroom and splash some water on his face. It was brighter in there. He'd already been in there twice, just for something to do while he was waiting. Or maybe he should go outside and stand in the sun. But they told him specifically to wait inside. They said very specifically, wait inside and do not be late. He wasn't late. He'd gotten there early. And having no other thing to do, he's just waiting. Waiting to be doing something, at least. They said if he was there and that he did what they asked him, that they could help him. He pushed his back flat against the wall, trying to open his eyes wider, and waited. There was really something wrong now. This was not the light bulbs or anxiety. It was his eyes. It was like night now, an unlit room at night. He could see people moving through the station in the darkness, surprised they could find their way without running into something. He pressed the palms of his hand against the wall, trying to get closer to it or to find something solid. It was past the time when he was to meet them. They had told him to hold his watch. They had told him to meet at a particular time, and it was past that time. He held his watch up close to his eyes to try and see the time. Webb thought about leaving, but he didn't want to move, didn't know how to think about anything beyond this moment, about what was happening right now. Even his situation, the reason that brought him here seemed distant and like less of a crisis. He tried not to blink, being sure that every time he did, it got darker in barely noticeable increments. It occurred to him that he was more aware of the sounds around him, like his brain was making some kind of shift 
realizing it could no longer rely on the eyes for information. He could hear people walking, the scuff of a chair moving when someone sat down. He could even hear a bus idling out back. He heard footsteps coming towards him and could barely make out two figures coming directly to him. He let his body relax, step, stopped pressing against the wall and took a half a step away from it and peered into the darkness trying to make out their faces. They stopped in front of him, close. I'm Sandy. We spoke on the phone. She put her hand on his arm, warm, reassuring. Even at inches away, he could not see their eyes or features or their faces. And this is Mike. Mike patted his shoulders as a greeting. Do you know what is happening? Webb asked. Do you know what's going on? Take a deep breath and stay still, Mike said. Sandy put her hand over his eyes and let it rest there for a minute. It felt cool. When she took it away, the blackness was complete. He turned his head from side to side, searching, but the blackness did not change. No shadows, no impressions, complete darkness. You should be better now, Sandy said, giving his arm a squeeze and releasing it. You will be okay. And they left and he believed them.